You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. But I was I was a bit surprised because it was a kind of moment of triumph for Michael. And it was a moment of complete disaster for me, really. Uh, and we'd always got on quite well, although we'd been opposed on the drink driving issue. Uh, I was a bit surprised that he kind of took the opportunity to dance on my grave. It's quite unusual in politicians for politicians not to be quite magnanimous in that situation. They usually they usually say, "Look, he's he's been beaten. He's done his job, and 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 good luck to him in the future," or something like that. Which maybe they don't mean, but they say. Uh, Michael didn't say that. Michael said, "You know, it's the best thing that's ever happened in Irish politics." Hello and welcome to the Southern Stars Coronavirus Podcast. I'm the news editor, Siobhan Cronin, and this week's podcast is an interview with well-known politician, journalist and author Shane Ross. Shane's father was from Cork and he has devoted a large portion of his book In Bed with the Blue Shirts to his relationship with Cork Southwest TD Michael Collins, which started out very amicably but ended with Collins apologising for a scumbag remark he made the day that Ross lost his seat after last February's general election. He talked about that incident and much more when he spoke to me earlier. So, Shane Ross, delighted to have you here today. And tell me, am I right in thinking that your father was a Cork man? Yeah, well, he was born in Cork mm. and he he was, um, his name was John Ross. And in fact, he was, his 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 company was quite a well-known name with his family company. It's called Nat Ross Cork. Oh, I know it and well. They, like when we moved from Clare, they carried all our goods to Cork. That's so right. There you go. That's who they were. Uh, now he was the cap, uh, and they were they were bought over, I think, in the late nineteen eighties in the end by another company. So they're not operating under their own, that name now. But his father owned that company. Now he, he but my father's my father's father married twice. It's a terrible thing when you're trying to when you've got a family company, and my father was not. As a result, the eldest son was was someone else, and uh, was 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 someone else's uh, was his stepmother's son, obviously, of the, of the first marriage who died. And uh, so he didn't actually inherit the, the family firm, which was a matter of great regret because it was, it was it was a pretty good company at the time. And when he was when he was he was born in 1919, uh, and he actually went off with. Then his father died, and then he went off as a child to his mother with his mother uh, to England, lived in England for a very 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 long time. But he's a Cork man, yeah, and he he when he it was his memories of Cork. Even as a child, which brought him back to Ireland, that's why he actually came back to live in Ireland. He was, right. he was so happy living there. So yeah, I've got I've got good credentials for. I was just good to say program, some, all right. some good DNA. Yeah. All right, what part yeah, of Cork? I, I suspect it might be North Cork. Am I right? I think he, I think he was. I think they lived in Carabini. You know, oh, no, which, that's uh, close enough. That's on the yeah, border of West. Yeah. We'll we'll take that. Yeah, that's not, right. So and far. he had really really good memory really good memories of it. So you know, if he hadn't gone, I could have been representing. The people of Cork instead of Michael Cox. Cork South Central, I think. Like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, that's right. Yeah. You'd, you'd be in. You'd have a lot of company there in that constituency. Now, yeah, tell me, um, you, you're the name of your new book is in bed with the blue shirts, which mm-hmm. uh, gave me a little giggle because, of course, you have you have been in bed with the blue shirts because you're mm-hmm. a former FG or yourself. So how do, how do they feel yeah. about poacher turned gamekeeper writing about them as <laughs> if you as if well, you were never tainted by them? Uh, no, um, it's something of which I think both parties are ashamed. I think they're ashamed of the fact that I was ever a member of the Fine Gael and I'm not 
really pleased with the fact that I was. It was a very long time ago. It was 19, in the early 1990s. And I, I joined Fine Gael and, and I stood for them. In, uh, I was a county councillor for Fine Gael in uh, Bray in County Wicklow. And then I stood for the Doyle and didn't succeed. Uh, and then we had, as often happens to me in politics, we had a, we had a split and I, I became, I, re, I just returned to being an independent. That, that Fine Gael element was just a kind of bit of an event in my life. It, it didn't work out very well. And, and I think the explanation for that is, is, is very obvious. I've, I've always been rather independent, undisciplined politician in many ways. And, and so when I joined, I didn't find it very easy to, to accept all the kind of disciplines, the party with the structures, etc. So it didn't, it didn't, it didn't really work very well. And it, the same thing happened to some extent when, when I got back into, when I got into cabinet with them, it, it was, there was a difference of culture. Uh, I was still thinking he's an independent and they still thought of Fine Gael. And, but our relationships were very good on a personal basis on the whole, on both occasions, but uh, structurally it was difficult to, it was difficult to make it work. Right. So you were a hap- happy, yeah. happier camper as an independent then? Yeah, much. Right. Much. I mean, no. it, 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 yeah. that's not to say that political parties are, are wrong or anything. It just say that it, it doesn't suit some people. Right. Yeah. Now, the new book, you have a chapter in it called Drunk Drivers Divide the Doll. And it opens yeah. with uh, Michael Collins' now infamous scumbag comment, which he made yeah. at a rally, I think, when he came back that evening down here in West Cork. And we're going to take a little clip from that speech now. Shane Ross is in the scrap heap of Irish politics! One of the biggest scumbags that I've been to Irish politics. He ruined rural Ireland. I said it every chance I had above the doll. And I said I'd do every, every, everything I could to take that man down because he ruined rural Ireland. And tonight... The people of the people of great people of Dublin took him out of it. And God bless him. Right. Um, so you heard there Michael Collins speaking. I didn't hear that actually, but it doesn't matter. I know what he said anyway. Yeah. yeah well, I think you yeah. remember it because you um I do. in the book it says how the tweet came up on your on your Twitter feed from a very familiar face and immediately you you were hooked and you were very shocked. Now what I thought was very surprising is I remember you saying it at the time. Yeah. That you seem to be shocked by the word scumbag. And I thought now for a man who's been in the Shannon, a man who's been in the newsroom of the Sunday Independent, which I have myself, a man yeah. who has been through the, the, the thick and thin of politics, were you really offended by that word? Or was it was it because it was coming from a man you thought was a friend? I, 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 I'm not sure about shocks is right. Um, I was surprised. Yeah, uh, I was I, I'm not sure offense offended. No, I don't get really offended, but I thought it was most unusual because we had been opposed politically for, for, for on one issue and one issue alone, really. Although they'd kind of, a, a few of them had demonized me as saying I wasn't, uh, you know, that I was, I ruined, I think in that speech, she said I'd ruined uh, rural, Ireland. A, a rural Ireland, which was a bit of hyperbole. But I was, I was a bit surprised because it was a kind of moment of triumph for Michael. And it was a moment of complete disaster for me, really. Uh, and we'd always got on quite well, although we'd be deposed on the drink driving issue. Uh, I was a bit surprised that he kind of took the opportunity to dance on my grave. It's quite unusual in politician, for politicians not to be quite magnanimous in that situation. They usually, they usually say, look, he's, he's been beaten, he's done his job and, and, and good luck to him in the future or something like that, which maybe they don't mean, but they say it. 
Uh, Michael didn't say that. Michael said, you know, it's the best thing that's ever happened in Irish politics. And that this he had a bit been... of a vendetta against you, more or less said, for his whole career to get you out. Yeah. That was his top priority. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and, it, and it particularly because in the book, what I do say is, hey, look, we got on really well for a very long time. Um, and that I come down to Cork and, and I print a lot of the texts which he sent me, right, which were very friendly and quite in contradiction to what he said that night. Now, he may have been a bit excitable uh, in his triumph and, and good luck to him for that. And, he, you know, he did really well to, to get in. It's difficult for an independent in that election. But I, think, uh, but I think he was always, well, down here anyway, he was always a surefire winner on, on, the, on that occasion. So I don't think he had any yeah. doubt he was getting in. And yeah. People might yeah. think you're a little bit naive as a politician to think that politicians don't say one thing to your face and another thing behind your back. No, I know they do that. Uh, and, and I do it probably too. You know, we all probably do that as well. But I think it's kind of good for people to know wh- what happens. Um, and that my surprise at him doing it was just so much in contradiction with when I met him. I don't remember having any disagreement with him in Leinster House off stage outside the Doyle Chamber on the drink driving issue, actually. Uh, and I never remember anything except pleasantries. So that was that was kind of difficult. And I and I do refer in that in in the book uh, uh, at some length to the trip which I had down. Michael asked me down to uh, to, to West Cork, and uh, which caused I think a little bit of friction because obviously. Uh, Jim Daly, I think, was yeah. He was the he was the TD at the time, and he, I was in I was in bed with the Blue Shirts. I wasn't in bed with Michael, and uh, and uh, and and. But at Michael, I went down. And he was the host for the day, and there's always a bit of a problem about ministers when they visit constituencies. Who's hosting them and who's not, and who's in the photographs, and who gets the credit for what's delivered, etc. And I was down there definitely with Michael uh, to to some slip. I mean, Jim Daly was didn't say anything about it, but I could feel a certain amount of awkwardness about it because because I hadn't made contact with him. I don't think I made contact with him at all that day. Uh, but we had a great day. And he took me all around the place. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, Baden and Skull and, and various other places. Kind of I think Danny, Danny the, the sitting councillor, accompanied you as well. And Danny is a publican. Yeah, that's right. And, and, uh, and that was, you know, that, but that wasn't any, that was, funnily enough, the bill was out and in the open at that stage, the drink driving bill. And he still, he still, you know, he still, ensured a great welcome for me down there. I didn't feel any of the hostility that people talk about. They say, oh, you're hated in rural land. That's not the case. Uh, uh, but the bill was out and Danny and he and I spent the day together and we had a really good meeting with various people, various tourist groups, interest groups. Um, we went to see all sorts of, of really, really important places and uh, and we really had a long but very fruitful day. And I, and I had texts from him afterwards saying, what a great welcome you got in Cork. You know that I can read them to you, but I'm not going to. But the, they're in, they're the, in book. the book, I think. Yeah, and and uh, saying, you know, this shows what. And I was delighted. He said, you know, to that, to be able to show them the hard work you do. Now that I'm only emphasising that because it it contrasts so much with the speech he made uh, that night of the election about this scumbag who was the worst thing that ever happened in, in to, to to Ireland, the ministry. You know, etc. That I think is confined. For, should be confined to the Doyle Chamber. I think that's what I'm saying. But yeah. I wish him well. I don't. I don't. Bear and he did apologise. In fairness, I think you were both on the radio yeah, he did. a few days later, and yeah. he did apologise for that. And he said it was in the heat of the moment, and he was he was a bit excited by by his yeah. win. Um, oh, that's fine. 
you yeah. but you also had a very stormy relationship and I have to say very amusing at times the way the way you describe it in the book with with your junior minister Patrick O'Donovan now Patrick also has very strong links here his brother is another publican in Bandon so I suppose there's no reason there was no um surprise there that there may have been a bit of a stormy relationship with yeah. with the man who who the publicans believe was was out to get them um, mm. But tell me a little bit about that relationship, because between a senior and a junior minister, uh, for it to be quite yeah. so toxic is is rare enough, I think. It was pretty bad for quite a long time. Yeah. The you see, it was funny because Ender, when Ender appointed appointed me, he didn't. We, our relationship wasn't very good at that stage either. Uh, I, I don't seem to get on with anybody <laughs> from, from what's happening in this program, but that wasn't the case. And we got on very well later, and and I was fine then afterwards. But when he appointed me, he just gave me the transport portfolio, right? He said, there you are. You, basically, you're getting the transport. He didn't consult me at all about what he was going to give me. He just said, you're getting transport. I can't remember whether he mentioned sport and tourism, but that's part of the portfolio as well. Uh, and and uh, he appointed Patrick as well, uh, Patrick O'Donnell, as Minister of State, yeah, and Sport and Tourism. So sport and tour- but he never consulted me about that either. He just said, you know, which I think is unusual. Um, I think is normal, it unusual? Or that, that always comes a few days later, am I right, anyway? So you wouldn't have known maybe yeah. on the day, yeah. It does come later, that's right. He probably had it in mind. I, don't, I can't actually remember whether he told me Patrick was going to be going to be appointed that day or not, but I don't think he did. But but then he appointed Patrick, he didn't tell me. And, I, and that's fine. I mean, the Tishiks can do what they like. Tishiks can do, do what they like. But um, why didn't it work? Well, there were there were there was a kind of view around that 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 I needed watching, and they were going to put in a kind of Finnegan Minister of State to keep an eye on me, right? Uh, and that was something I was suspicious of, maybe wrongly, because Patrick maybe didn't wasn't doing that at all. But I was kind of suspicious of, and there was also there's always a there appears to be <clears throat> sometimes because of Michael Ring's strength, he was. He was Patrick's predecessor. Uh, a little bit of tension of what they call the responsibilities of the ministers of state. And Michael had a huge presence in the sports and the tourism portfolio. Uh, and Patrick felt he, that I wasn't giving him the same amount of kind of leeway and discretion as, um, as, as Pascal had given to Michael Ring, Right. Now, they were the same party, so it's probably rather easier. And there are lots of points of tensions, often in their particular sports grants and areas like that. Um, and I think Patrick felt that maybe, that, and he may be rightly, that I was taking too much responsibility. But, the, but in my defence, I should say that we had exactly the same written office notices, which is the way it's done, uh, as, as, as the, the, two, the, two, the two before us had. And the relationship was formally certainly the same. So that means that he, he had the same responsibilities as his predecessor? Yeah, that's what I mean. Exactly. But he did. He did. Uh, he did uh, usurp you on a few occasions, did he not? He kind of got in ahead of you on a few announcements. Yeah, he did. Yes, there was. There's. There's always that 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 type of a problem. Uh, and the senior minister is the senior minister. Basically, that's that's the, the relationship, and things like that should be decided by them. But what I think he felt was that, that I wasn't generous enough about them. That I took the good things to myself, and that he wasn't given enough of them. I don't think it's true, uh, but but you know there are some sports events which are very coveted. But we all got, we all went to the kind of the the the, the kind of perks of, of of that office of going to the matches. The, the big you know, the big wonderful. ticket matches, yeah, the big internationals. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. But we both went to all those, etc. Mm. Um, but there were, there, there were areas where I 
I think I turned up where he felt it should have been him and him there alone. And that would have been what the arrangement with the predecessor, that sort of thing. Uh, and and he was probably entitled to that. It's a difficult, it's a difficult relationship. And and that that didn't work very well. There was there was one point where I did feel he went a bit overboard, and we had we had a really big row when he announced uh, a major change in sport policy on gender quotas without consulting anybody at all. The first I heard of it was on Morning Island, uh, and I was kind of driving, and I heard that sports policy changed quite dramatically. And I think you said uh, the civil servants didn't even seem to know about that one. No, they didn't. Nobody knew about it at all. So I had to reverse that. Uh, and that was difficult. When when your Minister of State does something and you don't agree with it, which you, which is what happened, and uh, and he announces it all over the airways and all of the newspapers, he did a campaign to, to do it. And I had to, by the end of the week, basically reverse the whole thing. That made life difficult. And maybe I didn't do that very tactfully. Um, but and you were then, also prone no, to a few gaffes, I think, um, Shane, in the sports was, department between Katie Taylor and Rob Carney and a few others, which you, you do, in fairness, document in the book. You're not uh, yeah. trying to hide them. Um, do you, do you uh, put that down to just being a little bit um, distracted or, or it's just part of your um, personality, is it? That you're just no, being... it's, it's, no the, the, I was prone to, you know, there would be about a dozen gaffes, famous ones. I mean, oh, that's the, quite a lot, really. Yeah, um, I mean, but they weren't serious ones. Some of them were wrong, actually, but that doesn't matter. You know, they, some of them actually weren't gaffes at all, or I didn't do them, and all sorts of things like that. But one or two, the Katie Taylor was easily the most famous one, and that was I was kind of caught red-handed there. I I I wanted to be photographed with her, and uh, and so I stuck to her. And the story became that I wanted to be photographed with her, not not what had happened when she came home, not her great victory, etc. And that was bad, and that was completely my fault. Um, and I made mistakes about the Carney brothers. I, I called one, one, and I got I got them wrong, uh, which it really isn't a big sin, but it's quite easy to do mm-hmm. uh, in a hurry. And I made a couple of other mistakes, and people started to kind of watch very carefully. But yeah, I mean that was, it's 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 quite difficult sometimes when you're in a in a hurry on the radio or something like that. It was Twitter actually did me in really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I put something on Twitter, and that's what happened to the Carney brothers. I was in a real hurry. I said, you know, with Johnny Saxton or one of the Carneys, blah, blah, blah. I got the wrong Carney. Uh, Did you and, not have a private this... secretary saying, please give me your phone? A bit like Mr. Trump, please give me your phone, Mr. Ross, and let me do your no. meeting. <laughs> no, I was very bad at, at, at having people around me. Yeah, um, I tend to do things on my own uh, because, you know, the civil service like to know exactly what their minister's doing at every hour every minute of the day and that can be very claustrophobic it can really annoy you you know where are you going now where are you where are you going you know when you want to go to the loo they want to know how long you're going to be and all that sort of thing and, like and so marriage, I was very really. bad at that sort of thing but I could have done with them on occasions when they weren't with me yeah you're right so I made a few gaps you're right yeah well I think though that the in fairness to you you do seem to have left politics and you don't feel like you've made any major men enemies I mean I think you're on speaking terms with Patrick O'Donovan it's not as if yeah anything was too serious in the end it was just the cut and thrust really of, of politics but the yeah. one thing you were on a mission with and I'm sure if yeah. you were there you'd still be on a mission with was du- judicial appointment system which is very much in the news now at the moment yeah but I'm always fascinated to know you were like a dog with a bone on that one, I have to say, because you yeah. kept getting pushed back and you kept coming again and you kept getting pushed back, kept coming again. And this yeah. is the whole process by which judges are chosen and then appointed under the Irish system, which is, is up for massive debate at the moment. Mm. Why 
why that particular issue, Shane? You didn't particularly have a background in law or anything. And I was always very interested to know, you know, what, what was it about that that you just thought, we have to sort this? I had a bit of a background in law. My father was a lawyer and uh, mm. solicitor, and I did solicitors up to the first level. Uh, no, the, because it was wrong. It, and, and it is wrong. And I had kind of, I felt independence. One of the reasons why the, for the formation of the Independent Alliance was we thought we really could pretty well outlaw cronyism. In other words, people looking after their friends. And we, we pretty well did, actually, to be honest. I mean, nothing went through cabinet during my period there, apart from in about the first two weeks when Fidel tried it on and then they stopped with a European appointment. Nothing went through cabinet, which could be, I think, regarded as massive cronyism. We watched everything like a hawk on that. But the worst form of that cronyism that was going on in Irish life was at the most, and still is, was at the most was at the highest, the most important level, and I kind of felt this was difficult. I know, I mean, I know a lot of the judges, I know a lot of the politicians, I know how they do it, and I know that the, the controversy which we're now in the middle of is the product of that, the appointment of James Wolf. Uh, how did it happen? And the fact that there is no transparency at all, particularly at the top level, of such important appointments. I just find terribly offensive. It was also a big challenge because the, the judiciary and the politicians are so wedded to the current system of patronage. The judges like to appoint, let's be honest about this, the judges like to appoint their powers just as much as the politicians like to appoint their powers. And there's a bit of tension between them, but both of them in the end of the day get a big, a big whack of their powers in there. And so what we don't see is a transparent system of people being appointed on merit. Instead, what we see is politicians choosing out of an enormous pool, basically, whoever they like, but the judges having a very large input into that as well. And we see political appointments time after time after time after time. I was determined to try and stop that. And and we're very close to it. We're, we're very close to it now, actually. You know, this 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 latest row with Seamus Wolf's appointment, that is very good thing that that has happened. Because that's actually, for the first time, convinced the public that this is a, a really serious problem. It's also convinced a lot of politicians they have to do something about it. But do you not think that there's a certain amount of cronyism, cronyism is um, inevitable? I mean, you talk about a massive pool they're drawing from, but really, is it that massive a pool in Ireland where, you know, everybody knows everyone else? Um, you know, down at the, the four courts, you know, all the barristers know each other. Half of them are related to each other or they're, you know, yeah. they're they're fathers and mothers have been involved in law their children will be um i mean how you know are you ever going to be able to eliminate that element of uh of, of cronyism really in a in a country the size of ireland you're going to be able to improve it enormously um, elimination is difficult in a small country you're, you're absolutely right because people know each other all, all the time what we what what i did and it and that bill is now is proposed a bill which has an independent chair on the commission selecting judges and an independent lay majority as well. Um, and that would, that, would, that would include lawyers, judges as well, but not as part of the lay majority and not in the chair. That would, I think, it's not gonna, you're never going to absolutely sort the problem because some of those judges who are sitting there are going to have favourites who they want to get through as well. But they're going to be in a minority. Uh, 
and you're going to have an independence in a majority making transparent decisions which the public can see and aware of and how they were made. The system now is absolutely tailor-made for cronyism. It's done behind closed doors. We've seen it. We've seen it. It's all done in secret that politicians refuse to reveal how it's happened. You, you saw that in the recent crisis that, that because everything that's revealed about it is embarrassing. And in the book, uh, you will see how I address, particularly under, under the last government, the Fine Gael connections and how they managed to get themselves, how, how it, maybe it's just a coincidence, but how it, how it happened that so many of them have a Fine Gael background and how this, how this emerged and the kind of opaqueness, the, the, the invisibility of how it all happens behind closed doors and who appointed to. And it's quite incestuous. It's quite fascinating if you read it. Who looked after who? In what circumstance? And it's all there, actually. It's all in the book. Mm. Uh, and how they how, how they looked after each other in various circumstances. It's completely wrong. And what we want to do is make it open, make it independent, certainly have judicial input and, and a political input. It has to be eventually, but, or some political input, but make sure it's not the sort of carry-on that's going on at the moment. It's just, it's just indefensible. Yeah, and I, 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 the book is very timely, and I would say because um, there's still a few people have said to me that they're not quite sure what's going on with this whole Seamus Wolf thing, and if and if you have yeah. any doubts, it's it is very well laid out in the book about how we got how we got mm. to this stage. So I would recommend it for that mm. reason. There's also mm. some really hilarious descriptions of Fine Gael in the book, um, and to a lesser extent Fianna Fáil. Um, I just might actually read one of them, which really um, amused yeah. me. And you say, the blue shirts have many admirable qualities. They're mostly honest, polite, prudent and reliable. They also have a degree of condescension, a sense of a divine right to rule that would embarrass the House of Windsor. They are joined at the hip to Ireland's middle classes and large farmers. Compared with Fianna Fáil, they can be incredibly boring. They would also cut your throat for a few lines of favourable media coverage. They are savages in a savage business and they would have a good laugh with you afterwards, which I thought was very, um, was very yeah. fitting. Now, yeah. West, West Cork, I'm afraid, is one of the areas that Fine Gael probably don't want to think about at the moment because they got quite a drubbing in the last election. We did lose um, that seat that Jim Daly was occupying. Um, some were saying they were for for a constituency that gave us Michael Collins, and I mean the original Michael Collins, and and the other Michael Collins. Um, Fine Gael were almost wiped out. So, can you understand yeah. what happened last time around? That things went so badly, and yet here we are again with uh, a Fine Gael coalition government. Well, but I suppose mostly Fine Gael, you would say, really. Yeah, I mean the election was obviously not of that timing. Fine Gael's timing, remember the. the, the they didn't want to. We, I mean, I talked to Leo about this at length at the time, urging him not to hold it because I didn't think we were going to do very well either. Uh, but obviously, they had a vote of confidence uh, hanging over their heads against Simon Harris, which was actually going to go through. Uh, and and so, what what he wanted to do was just go before that happened. He didn't want to be forced in, into an election, and, and the timing was couldn't have been worse for them as a result. It was kind of middle of winter. They'd done very well on the. I think they'd done very well on Brexit. Uh, before that, but the timing of this was the opposition was certainly moving very, very, very fast. Um, can I understand what happened? No, I was pretty surprised by the depth of what happened. You, you know, Finnegan has gone from, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's 76 seats in 2011 to about 35 now. That is an incredible uh, decline. Uh, and obviously, you know, they're a very conservative party, but so if in a fall, really. They're very similar. This, the, 
politically, there's very little difference between them. There's a kind of tribal difference, cultural difference. Uh, so what was what was happening? I suppose nobody anticipated the rise of Sinn Féin. And, uh, except Sinn Féin, maybe. Except Sinn Féin, yeah. Well, not um, even, not even to the extent, I think, that it took them by surprise, really, the extent of it. Yeah. I mean, even in my own constituency, which is, it, it, it's quintessentially middle class. I mean, it's full of people who are well off. Um, Sinn Féin, which was, it was considered to be the last seat in the country, actually, that, that would ever elect someone Sinn Féin. They didn't elect anyone. But if they'd had a a really strong candidate, and that's no reflection on the candidates there, but a really strong candidate, they might have even got elected there. And it's a hugely middle-class area. So it, 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 it was, that was a big, big surprise. And uh, they did very, very well. But to say, yeah, why is why has Fine Gael declined so far? You know, it's, it's difficult to know. It's a very volatile electorate. And you did see immediately afterwards in, under the COVID uh, regime, kind of interim government, you did see a huge surge in, in Leo's popularity and Fine Gael's popularity uh, because they were managing that in the public view very, very, very well. I was in that, in that cabinet and it was quite, it was the interim cabinet. It was very strange to see the incredible revival of Fine Gael it, within weeks of having had a disaster. So ask me, do I know? No, I, I can't really explain it, except that Sinn Féin, I think, is here to stay. But what about the, you know, this rumoured merger of uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, and especially now that the public has seen them working so closely together with very little difference in policy? Do you think in five or ten years we're going to see like a, a super party? Or or is it just no, the demise of both? No, I think it probably won't happen like that way, that way, but I think they'll go into coalition pretty easily in future as well. I mean, they are very much still civil war po- po- politics, civil war parties, and there's a lot of that still there. There's a lot of the families who just would never join the other party, you know, that, that way. I, I remember when, when I was in Fine Gael for that short period of time, I learned very quickly the way to, the way to um, get the support of the people in the room, in the Fine Gael room, was to, is to, was to rattle your sabre at Fine Fall. It wasn't about policies at all. It was about the enemy. And once you had an enemy, you were okay. And, and they live, you know, they, they kind of feed off each other's enmity. So I don't think they'll merge. But, but I don't think, you know, I, I really, one of the most telling things about the present government is, and I'm not a member of it, but I just was observing it for myself, is the way that Pascal O'Donoghue, Pascal O'Donoghue and Michael McGrath are getting on. There's no friction between them whatsoever because they're younger than that civil war politics kind of era and their policies are identical. Uh, and they're getting on like a house on fire. I don't think there's any tension between them at all. And I suspect that's going to, con- that's going to be continue. But I don't think it'll be, I don't think there'll be a formal merger, but I think they'll, they'll be very comfortable going to government with each other again. Yes, I think that's difficult. The, the problem with the government will be the Greens, you know, not, not, not Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, I don't think so. No. Right. Now, um, the, the book... Um, has just been published in the last few weeks, Shane. And uh, people might know you're a former stockbroker. You're a yeah. former and current journalist um, yeah. and a former politician. Or will we see more of you in the politics arena, do you I think? Don't know. You know, it's, that's always, it's a hard, difficult, it's a difficult question to answer because, I mean, I'm not worried to be getting back in the dial or anything like that. That's, that's not, it's not being the, Biggest trauma of my life that I lost a seat, despite what Michael Collins says. Uh, I think you say it might you know, be the biggest trauma of your of your family's life because you're back home now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, going being at home too much, and you know, but COVID has enforced that as well. Um, I don't know. I if I've got a lot of energy, that's one of the curses I I've got, and I'm 71, but I still got an awful lot of energy. So I'm not going to retire voluntarily. You know, if if if, if I can't get anything to do, that 
that'd be a pity. But I, I, I expect to be energetic, keep doing a lot of things. I'd like to be politically involved. I would certainly like to be involved in various campaigns. That That is very interesting. I'd like to see this be part of, you know, I'd like to see the judicial uh, appointments bill go through. I think it probably will now in, in amended form. And I'd certainly be involved on the sidelines of, of pushing that pushing that because that's actually, you know, that was a bill I introduced and it's nearly there. And it's obviously going to be reintroduced in some form now. And I'd certainly like to use the kind of energy which, which I've used in politics. I was there for, what, 39 years. It's a long time. Uh, and so you don't want to make a complete break. But I'm, I mean, you know, I'm not going to be kind of spending, spending the next few years mourning the fact that I'm not in the doyle. I mean, it's great freedom in some ways that, that you're not there. I mean, being a minister is hugely rewarding. And I hope Sometimes you do a lot of good, but it's hugely stressful. And, and you know, people think it's all about uh, the stuff I said in the book. I mean, I left out of the book the really, the grind. And that's that's most of your life, actually, is the grind. It's the, it's the briefings, it's the documents you have to read and, and actually absorb and then make decisions on. That's that's the difficulty. So, no, I, I'd like to keep writing. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a good bit at the moment. Um, and that... That's fun, and the book's been fun. But actually, you know, I won't make up my mind about what to do next until after Christmas, because really, the book—you know—we had we had the interim government, which lasts till June. Then I immediately did about four months on the book, bang, 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 and I'm kind of promoting it at the moment from now until the shops. You see, the shops open on on next Wednesday. I, I assume we haven't got the news, but I think so. So that'll be really when the books start selling, if they sell at all. They, you know, which I think they they will. So after that. I look at it, but sure, I'd like to be involved in, in things that are similar and things that matter. But, you know, people say to you, standing for the door, they only want to know because because they want to see if there's a, <laughs> there's a vacancy or another, somebody else in the area, really. That's why they ask that question. You know, <laughs> they're not worried about what you're going to do. You know? Well, tell me, have you, you just described there, you don't really have much downtime at the moment, but if, if you did, no. like what, what does Shane Ross watch on Netflix for a bit of downtime? Or are you just going uh, through old old uh, episodes of The West Wing to keep your hand in there in, in the political arena? No, I tell you what I've been doing. I've been doing it d- downtown recently. I've been watching. I've been, I have been watching the. I have been watching the Crown like everybody else. That's uh, that's almost cliched already, and you know, it's, <laughs> and it's only, it's only out last weekend, wasn't it? Or the weekend before. Um, and I have been watching uh, elements of that. I don't. I don't watch. I started watching film last night, and it was just so bloody. It was about saboteurs and in the war and it was horrible so I didn't watch that for a much very length of time what do I what what will I do um with downtime I will probably yeah I tell you what I've developed a great deal of interest in uh football I'd always as minister of sport it was it was I went to all the football games and all the rugby you games you mentioned Scunthorpe or Blackburn or I did you read the book yeah yes. you did <laughs> Well, that's my grandchildren. My, my grandchild, one of my grandchildren, for some reason, I can't believe it. He said, oh, he, he supports Manchester United and Scunthorpe. And I said, well, okay, let's go. You know, we'll go to, Man- we went to one Manchester United game. And then he said, I want to go to Scunthorpe. And uh, <laughs> I didn't know where Scunthorpe was. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's, 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 it's somewhere in Yorkshire. And we went, we went, we went to a game in Scunthorpe, which are fourth division now, just about to drop out of the fourth division, I think, probably. Uh, and he announced to me, he announced to me as we got there, he said, you know, he said, this Scunthorpe is, was awarded the dirtiest town in England <laughs> last year, which we're just going to, just as we got in there. 
Uh, and we went there and they, they actually got promoted that day. So it was, it was great. But no, I've been watching a lot of Manchester United on telly. I mean, mm. it's one of the great things about uh, one of the great reliefs of COVID is at least there's some sport on telly still, you know, uh, even though we can't go. Thank God we can still watch it on television. So I've been watching it. I was watching the Champions League last night, night before, etc. And I've become a bit of a bit of a bit of a soccer football addict at this stage. You've been watching some of the coverage of, of Maradona's death. Yeah, that was really moving, and it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be quite staggering in the next few days. Obviously, she's doing the three day. I, one of the things that struck me, I don't know, that's appropriate, was I didn't realize how kind of how, how, what a difficult life he'd had as well. You know, I wasn't up to speed with that, and and that he'd been involved in all sorts of things, and you know, he he was out of shape. He was out out of shape, obviously, recently. So it wasn't all triumph, and you know, all that fame and money, etc. It hadn't it hadn't left him with in good health, and he'd, he'd had some real downtime, really down downside. It just shows that the the country still stood by him, you know, and they they still um, have a very yeah. very fond. Um, a great place in their hearts for him, despite all his troubles in the last few years, which I thought thought was nice. You're right. That was the interesting thing that mm. that you know he did some bad things, obviously, or stupid things, and yet people still absolutely adored him because of his his talents and his personality. But he he kind of didn't look great in the latter years, which was which was sad to see. And uh, I always remember him as the photographs we're seeing this morning. This mm. incredibly, I don't know, he's good looking, but glamorous kind of young man and he's he wasn't that and that was he wasn't in good shape which is a pity and Shane have you seen the the Queen's Gambit because I'd imagine that's something that you'd really appreciate no but I I have that in mind very shortly have you I have Have let me recommend it and I think you'd love it it? because chess no more than any other game of strategy there's a lot of similarities with politics in it so I think yeah just a good game you should watch that (laughs) I have a bit of an ambition to play a bit more chess. I used to play chess a lot, and uh, and it's this fascinating game. Yeah, it's absolutely. Well, that. That'll be Christmas. There yeah. you go. Lovely yeah. Christmas. Well, listen, well, Shane. Thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, best of luck. And I highly recommend the book. I think whether you're a, a fan of the blue shirts or you're a Fianna Faller, or if you've any kind of political um, nerdiness in you at all I think you'll you'll really enjoy it it's a really good and at most most times very funny actually uh, read so um, thank you for that and well done thank you so much and uh, tell Michael Collins I I love him all right okay (laughs) pass it on And so to this week's newspaper. Our lead story is about the move to level three restrictions and how that might affect our local pubs, which are really struggling at the moment. We also have an interesting story about how the most popular word searches on Google for West Cork during the pandemic are beaches and Airbnb. We also have details of a nice award for Skibreen in the Pride of Place ceremony last week. Inside, we have a story on a wonderful painting of Irish female politicians that also features West Cork's first ever female TD, Margaret Murphy O'Mahony, who was, of course, elected in 2016. There's also a warning for West Cork craft retailers from economist Jim Power about changes to the VAT refund scheme. And we have the news of a top crime novel award this week for Clonacilty author and recent podcast interviewee Louise O'Neill. In features, we have the story of the Timaleague-born Labour TD who is being remembered by this year's Mother Jones Festival. And we also look at a timely name change for the local youth branch of Fianna Fáil.
In property, we have a renovated farmhouse near Ballydehop on 40 acres. And in motoring, we are reviewing the new Audi A6. In our second section, we have Emma Conley's COVID diary and all our usual columnists, as well as local news from every corner of West Cork. So don't forget, if you can't get to the shops, you can subscribe online by going to southernstar.ie and clicking on the e-paper tab. Or call the office on 028-21200 for a postal copy to be sent out to you. And now for this week's musical treat. Anya O'Gorman is a singer-songwriter based in Balnadee. She has just released a song with Victoria Keating, who is based in Bandon. The song The Poor Ground was recorded with Martin Healy and was written about the tomb babies. Christy Moore described the song as a tour de force. When I began to i uh-huh. 
listening to the Southern Star Coronavirus Podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast, which is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie